evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I have no energy. We're going to power through anyway. Have some fun stories to talk about. Um, Andy says Southern poverty lids. Thank you, dear. John says investors always sue. The hard part is proving malice. Well, we're going to read about it because one of tonight's biggest stories is that an investor in Target is suing over the Pride Month debacle. And I personally think it could not have happened to nicer people. Um, we are also going to talk about what screen time does to babies. We're going to touch on how important female choice was over the course of our evolution. I do believe in evolution. We're going to talk about how it's going (laughs) in the Biden administration. We're going to talk about what it would look like for a loss for Republicans in 2024, which I'm currently prognosticating. We're going to talk about the Hawaiian official who was concerned with equity who delayed releasing water. If that one doesn't raise your blood pressure, nothing will. Certainly raised mine. Not at all good for me. The doctor today was like, yeah, we need to get your blood pressure under control. So working on that. Now I have something to help with that, which is going to be good. University of San Diego bans Matt Walsh in a surprise to no one. Democrats aren't laughing about the Hunter Biden debacle anymore. And we're going to read about what... Uh, Hunter Biden's lawyers are pushing the DOJ to do R-E-I-R-S whistleblowers. They are not on good terms. It may surprise you to learn. And the AMA is under fire for floating the idea of taxpayer-funded uterus transplants for biological men. I will just leave that there. And then finally, I'm going to try to leave a little bit of time to talk about this because it's going to be fun. We're going to read the actual article. The headline from CNN is how conservatives use, quote, Verbal jujitsu to turn liberals' language against them. It's going to be really, really fun. I'm actually not sweaty. I'm just shiny because we are in Florida after all. Thank you guys so much for joining me tonight. Andy says Super Chats are good for my blood pressure. That is very true because with Super Chats, I can buy treats for dip and dot, and that means they're less annoying, and that means I don't have to kick dot in the middle of the night when I'm trying to turn over because I'm trying to sleep. Sleeping not been going so good lately, and Dot is not helping. She likes to sleep, like, right basically on my head, which is fun. She's great. She's so supportive. She's right here with me. Dip is in with Dad, keeping an eye on things in there. Uh, Scoop says, to be fair, that water was already contaminated so badly as to be harmful to drink. Well, then why didn't they release it for the fires? That's my question. And somebody said... Somebody was mentioning yesterday, I don't remember who, I can't give them credit. They're like, gosh, what if Hawaii were in the middle of a big area that was full of water that they could use to fight fires with? So I want to ask you guys about whether you can use salt water to fight fires because I actually don't know. Never thought about it. But let's get started. We are going to talk about screen time for babies. Andy and I have been talking about the role technology is going to play in our kids' lives. I'm... Feeling very Luddite, given what social media is doing to kids. But Andy's correct that they do need to learn how to use the technology so that it doesn't get the better of them, etc., etc., and so that they're able to make lives for themselves in this crazy new world. So, be that as it may, I think the fact of the matter that we can both agree on is that screen time is not good for developing children. We see that light is interfering. There we go. That's better. All right, Andy says, imagine you're on fire and someone sprays you with gross contaminated water. Hey, man, I would still be glad if I were alive. Honestly, I'd be very grateful. I wouldn't care how dirty the water was. 
that they had sprayed me with. Andy says, I'd be so bad. Like, yuck, right? That's true. Good point. Uh, screen time for babies linked to de- delays in speech problem solving according to developmental study. Let's read this one. Quit dropping stuff in there. <laughs> I have to have the bedroom door open so that we can get a breeze through here because otherwise I do get too hot and I am actually shiny because of sweat. Desert Burns is very corrosive to pump salt water. Right, but if the island is on fire and the option is uh, everyone dies or you corrode some pipes, I'm going to go with, you're probably going to say, maybe we should just pump the water anyway. But Hell Saint says, but my eyes will sting. That's, that's a great point. Yeah, I guess you guys are right. We'll get to it. Just a minute. Could using television as a babysitter, sitter, let me try it again. Could using television as a babysitter have adverse effects on a child? Duh. Duh. I think so. Texas Rangers, hi, hello, you are the best as well. Thank you for joining. It is possible, this is a new study that finds that more time toddlers spend looking at screens, TVs, computers, tablets, or smartphones, the more likely they are to have developmental delays. That's right. So, I don't know how how old you guys are. I think most of you guys are probably in Gen X or a little bit older. Some of you guys are millennials. What did you guys do when you were bored, right? So, my family... Went to church every single Sunday, zero exceptions. We did not have any scenes. We did not have any screens, rather. Dip is knocking stuff off the counter. Thank you, Dip. Dip's favorite game is to, if Andy ever leaves a glass on the counter in the bathroom, you know it. His favorite thing to do is to knock it onto the floor, and then Mom has to clean it up, and it takes a very long time, and I always miss some of the glass. Really frustrating. Thanks, Dip. Anyway, when I was a child, when I was growing up, we did not have screens, right? When we went to church, we would draw, right? Or take notes. And we were very, very low tech in that regard. We had dial up. Obviously, this is before everything went crazy, haywire, social media. Um, But we didn't watch YouTube. We didn't watch any of that stuff. Now, we played computer games sometimes. That would be for like an hour and a half in the evenings, Right. And we had like the Encyclopedia Britannica game, which we really liked. We had Carmen Sandiego. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Late boom gen, early gen Z. Huh, interesting. We had to go play outside. Yes. Older millennial, no computer, only screens. Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street. Yeah. So when we did watch TV, because sometimes we would sneak downstairs because our TV was not in our living room, right? It was downstairs in the basement where almost no one went. There was no traffic down there. Um, we would watch Malcolm in the Middle. Um, sometimes we were allowed to watch Barney. We liked Barney a little bit, but my parents always told us a family is not just a bunch of people who love each other. It's a mom and a dad and their kids. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. Completely agree. These delays could be in communication, fine motor, problem solving, or personal and social skills, according to the study published by the journal JAMA Pediatrics. I think that's the Journal of American Medicine Association. I don't know. (sighs) Doesn't sound right. Passive screen time, such as mindlessly watching TV or videos, may not allow children to practice interactive problem-solving skills. Yeah. Screens can disrupt or displace interactions with caregivers and limit opportunities for verbal exchanges, which can impair communications and social skills. When screen use does not have uh, an interactive or physical component, children are sedentary and may not be able to practice their gross motor skills. That's a good point, too. The study, which recruited subjects between July 2013 and March 2017, involved more than 7,000 Japanese children and measured how many hours per day children used screens at age one based on their mother's reports. The researchers also investigated how the toddlers performed in several developmental tests at ages two and four. 
Study found that 8 by 8 2 kids who'd had up to four hours a day of screen time were up to three times more likely to experience developmental delays and communication and problem-solving skills. And this isn't surprising. Like, you need to engage your brain and be talking to people. Yes, Andy says Load Runner. That was a game we played at our grandparents' house. I loved that game. I thought that was a lot of fun. That was in, like, the late 90s. Yeah, that was before 2000. Andy says original SimCity on the Mac Plus. God, the sun, Jesus Christ says. Hi, hello, welcome. Um, yeah, Elder Millennial TV, Nintendo played outside, Balance of the Three. Yes, we were very much the same, too. Greg Greg says, I grew up with AOL. Yeah, so we spent a lot of time outside. We were really lucky to live in the country, so we had five acres. Um, we would do chalk on the sidewalk, or we would play in puddles, or we would... Um, play in the garden and then we would we had a spool house so i don't know if you guys are familiar with electrical cable spools let me show you guys how big these things are my dad actually got a hold of one and made one into a house for us let me see if anyone else has done that because it's actually a really interesting idea electrical cable spool playhouse maybe i can find an example i doubt it but yeah, so instead of putting it on its side like this, we laid it flat like this one. Yeah, so it still had the the, the top part, the wider part. Didn't cut that off. Kind of left it like this. Oh, it's that's probably not going to work. Yeah, see, people turn them in, on, into all sorts of things, but these are the smaller ones. We had one of the really big ones. I have no idea what kind of wire wrapped it, but be, again, I wish we had a picture of it because we lived in the country. This is something that we could do, and this is a gift that I wish we could give our kids. Hopefully we can once we get a little bit of space. Let's see if we can find anything really, really fun to be able to play in there. I also took a wooden crate and flipped it upside down and knocked a plank out of it, and that was my little house. Wow, so I guess what my dad did was super original. So you see how this is painted, right? So our little doorway was right in here and then we would hang out there. And that was one of our playhouses. A very fun. It was really fun to just be able to be outside. We had like a, one of those silly little tin can phones. And we were playing on what we called the spool house. The other thing I was saying yesterday was we had a big hole that my dad had dug so that we could install a water storage tank and it never got installed. So we had the water storage tank off to the side and then we also had this really big hole where we could play if we wanted to. And indeed we did. St. Miles says wood pallet forts. Yes. This is what you should be doing instead of making your kids watch passive videos. That stuff's really bad for their development. Playing with their siblings really good for their development, right? And this, I think, is one of the huge benefits of having more than one child and even more than two because they should constantly be like bickering with each other, getting into a trouble with each other, forming alliances, building things together. Um, I remember my sisters and I kind of making house. We would scrub the floor. We would put down this. We had all sorts of perfume that nobody else wanted that were basically donated to our church, I think, that we got to take home. They smelled terrible. We love to use them and splash them around everywhere. We would take recycled bath mats and put them on the floors to make them like houses. So we're basically keeping house because that's what the little girls do. Way, way, way better than just sitting in front of a screen and staring passively. So I thought this was super interesting. This is a little bit similar, a little bit of an aside from Rob Henderson, who if you don't follow him on Twitter, Rob K. Henderson. Very good, very fun biology slash evolutionary um, follow. And this one struck me 
because I am pregnant and married and I understand the importance of those things. This says, over the course of human evolutionary history, there may have been some independent-minded women who thought things through and decided to avoid the pain and risks of motherhood. I completely understand. This is a huge pain. Nothing's as easy as it used to be, and I feel like I'm 100 years old. He goes on to say, these women are not our ancestors. That's right. Because it turns out that everything that's valuable in life, everything that has significant meaning is actually very, very difficult on very personal levels. And that's something that I wish that people would internalize. Let's read this little blob. Over the course of human evolutionary history, there may have been some independent-minded women who thought things through and decided to avoid the pain and risk of motherhood. These women, not our ancestors. There may also have been families that decided to do away with the rules and customs that encouraged the raising of children. Our ancestors didn't belong to families like this. Our ancestors were part of families that believed in the importance of children and worked hard to produce the next generation. That's why we exist. That's exactly what my parents taught us, for sure. And they inculcated it everywhere. We could not watch a Disney movie without hearing about how, no, actually, you probably shouldn't be following your heart. Your heart. We couldn't watch Barney without being told that, no, actually, a family isn't just a few people who love each other. It's a mom and a dad and their kids. A group of friends is a group of people who love each other, and that's fine. Uh, Dyatica says, learning they're not the center of the universe. Yes, especially when you have siblings. That is a really drives that home because it's impossible to feel like you're the center of the universe if there's four of you, right? Or three of you or even two of you. And uh, that's something that I think is super, super underrated. But I also think that having children at all is very underrated. But why did they get married? Let's read this part and then we'll move on. The custom of formally recognizing a link between couples... A couple that is having sexual intercourse is a social tool that is part of a larger social tool of kinship. It's impossible to know when our ancestors first started getting married, but there are two reasons for believing that the custom of marriage was already well established 100,000 years ago. Yes, it is extremely advantageous to make it so that a married couple or so that a couple who's having children together is also bound on multiple levels to one another for the sake of the children and for one another, especially for the sake of the woman. Because if you are going to get pregnant, you are at risk, right? You are in serious danger. And it's, it's, it's not something that women should enter into lightly. I see women on Instagram all the time saying, Oh, now I'm scared to have kids because they'll see something scary about being pregnant. And it's just like, yeah, there are hard parts to being pregnant, it turns out. But there are also hard parts to not having a family, and they're much sadder than the hard parts of being pregnant, honestly. All right, you guys. Uh, Dyadica says, I was the middle of a family of 11 kids. It's humbling. Absolutely. I was the second in a family of six kids. It is very humbling. I was not the special one. I wasn't even the middle. I was just one of the kids on the fringe, which it is what it is. But Dyadica says it also encourages cooperation, competition, learning how to balance them. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm grateful for having siblings to help make that happen. Uh, all right, you guys, we're going to check in on our current Democrat administration and see how everything's going. Joe Biden jokes about how hot the ground is while touring wildfire damage in Maui. That's so great. Let's see if we can listen here. You're not going to be able to hear it. This man mumbles like an MF. So, Joe Biden is over there <coughs> joking about how hot the ground is. Sean says soon he'll be saying he was in Maui when the fires raged. I said that's where Bo died, didn't you know? Have some respect. 
because it's all just a farce. It's a farce. It is. Joe Biden lies about everything all the time. He's a horrible human being. He makes everything worse no matter where he goes. Now, let's see what else he said. Biden says to the mayor of Maui County, you look like you played defensive tackle for I don't know who, but somebody good. And then says the wildfires are a, quote, national travesty. Now, this one I understand, okay? As someone who likes a good spoonerism, spoonerism is where you, like, mix things up or call something a combination of things, a travesty is a travesty and a tragedy. There you go. Solve the mystery. Um, but at the end of the day, our president should not be making these kinds of verbal foibles. Our president should be sharp and on top of things and paying attention and not lying about his opponents, pointing directly to where they are weak and calling them out on it. This is nonsense. Absolutely nonsense. And the rest of the Democrats are going to have a tough time with Hunter Biden. They're starting to figure it out. But I will say right now that I am predicting that the GOP will lose in 2024. I tweeted about this and I said, if you thought this was fun... U.S. families spending $709 more last month to buy the same household items as two years ago. You're really going to enjoy the next four years between 2024 and 2028. Because I don't think the Republicans are going to win. They aren't focused enough. They don't have strategies. They're flailing right now. And unless they revolutionize their approach to this, I don't see a win on our horizon. And, uh, yeah, I feel, uh, I feel especially targeted as someone who's about to have a kid into this economy. I would love for them to see how great America is and see how, how wonderful everything was before they were born. But I don't see that happening, unfortunately. These are the hard times we're going into. It's just how it's going to be. Our children will be very strong. But in a game of ricochet, we're going to bounce back to Hawaii. This is a great article. Hawaii official concerned with equity delayed releasing water for more than five hours as wildfires raged, according to a report. Access to water should be predicated on conversations about equity, according to the Hawaii official under fire for delaying access to water during the Maui wildfires. M. Kaleo Manuel, former deputy director of the Hawaii Commission on Water Resource Management, waited for more than five hours to release water during the wildfires that devastated Maui, according to the reports. This is what I'm talking about when I say you don't want a single point of failure, okay? This is what happens. This is essentially a monarchy. This is one person who gets to decide how this water is divvied up absolutely insane to give this to just one person. In a live stream debate hosted by the University of Hawaii last year, Manuel described water as a sacred god. Let water connect us and not divide us, said Manuel, referring to water distribution on the island. We can share it, but it requires true conversations about equity. How do we coexist with the resources we have? A former Obama Foundation leader, part of the program by the former president's nonprofit to help participants with coaching and practical skill building for social change, right, social change, Manuel says he considered water an important tool for social justice of, of course he did, of course he did. How shocking. Manuel was transferred to another position within the Department of Land and Natural Resources Wednesday, according to Honolulu Civil Beat, which first reported the story of the delay. 
West Maui Land Company said on, on an August 10th letter to Manuel that his commission refused his request to divert streams to fill landowners' reservoirs in the hard-hit Lahaina area until the wildfires raged out of control, according to a report. Sources told Honolulu Civil Beat that Manuel had asked the company to consult with a local farmer about the impact of water diversion before approving the request. We watched the devastation around us without the ability to help, said the company in the letter. We anxiously awaited the morning, knowing that we could have made more water available to the Maui Fire Department if our request had been immediately approved. (sighs) Yes, so... St. Miles says that guy is a moron, and I don't think he is. I think he's a social justice warrior whose social justice literally costs people's lives. Now, Tom Elliott tweeted that we can chalk a few hundred more deaths up to Marxism, and I am inclined to agree with him. I think that's correct. Uh, Add hundreds of more deaths to Marxism's body count. Yeah. Yeah. With a key says, with a K says... In a time of crisis, always consider equity. Lao Tzu, I don't think that Lao Tzu actually said that. Thyatika says his judgment was so bad I cannot understand how they kept him in public service. It's possible it was never proven to be this bad until that point. So this truly enlightened Twitter user says, Are you saying that climate change is responsible? That is the dumbest possible response to this tweet that I've ever seen. But it is Twitter, so it is what you get over there. You get what you pay for, which is not a lot. (laughs) All right, let's read more about the Biden crime family. Let's see if that demonetizes me. Hunter Biden's lawyers pushed the DOJ to prosecute IRS whistleblowers. That is good news. Hunter Biden's attorneys are reportedly pushing the Justice Department to prosecute IRS whistleblowers after the House Ways and Means Committee voted to approve the public disclosure of IRS whistleblower allegations. So we are going to war over these whistleblowers, over this Hunter Biden stuff. Crazy, crazy stuff. In June, the committee voted to make public multiple instances of alleged political interference in which the DOJ thwarted, hampered, or interfered with the IRS tax investigation into Hunter Biden. That would be delaying charges until they had expired, I believe, mostly. IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel confirmed the rights of the agency whistleblowers to make protected disclosures to Congress. Despite the procedure and confirmation, Hunter Biden's lawyers demand the DOJ prosecute the whistleblowers for disclosing details about the probe to Congress, the New York Times reported. The lawyers' request to prosecute the whistleblowers appears to be motivated by the impact of the whistleblowers' testimony on the investigation. That's right. They can no longer pretend it's nothing. It is not nothing. Matthew says Twitex. That's right. Twitex indeed, like Windex. According to the Times, the DOJ planned to let Hunter Biden off the hook without charges until two whistleblowers came forward. Now the IRS agents and their Republican allies say they believe the evidence they brought forward at the precise time they did played a role in influencing the outcome a claim senior law enforcement officials dispute. While Mr. Biden's legal team agrees that the IRS agents affected the deal, his lawyers have contended to the Justice Department that by disclosing details about the investigation to Congress, they broke the law and should be prosecuted. I don't think it's going to fly. We'll see what happens. Earlier this year, the Times found Mr. Weiss approved willing appeared willing to forego any prosecution of Mr. Biden at all, and his office came close to agreeing to an end to the investigation without requiring a guilty plea on any charges. But the correspondence reveals that his position relayed through his staff changed in the spring around the time a pair of IRS officials on the case 
accused the Justice Department of hamstringing the investigation. Mr. Weiss suddenly demanded that Mr. Biden plead guilty to committing tax offenses. Yeah, he had no choice. He was put in a super tight position. I don't blame him at all. As the testimony from the IRS agents took hold, Mr. Biden's legal team felt the ground shift beneath them. The U.S. Attorney's General uh, Attorney's Office suddenly went quiet. Oh no, their friends in high places aren't watching their back anymore. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer called the alleged attempt to push the DOJ to prosecute IRS whistleblowers unacceptable intimidation. That is exactly what it looks like. NY Times is reporting that Biden family attorneys are now pushing the Biden DOJ to prosecute IRS whistleblowers for sharing information with Congress. These brave whistleblowers testified under oath and deserve protection. These witness intimidate, this witness intimidation is unacceptable. Correct. IRS whistleblowers leveled damning allegations against DOJ's probe into Hunter Biden. Among the allegations, the whistleblowers alleged Assistant U.S. Attorney General Leslie Wolf refused to allow investigators to ask right about President Joe Biden being the big guy. That's right. The DOJ also twice prevented U.S. Attorney General Attorney David Weiss from bringing stronger charges against Hunter Biden. Attorney General Merrick Garland refused to name a special counsel in the tax investigation. And the IRS recommended charges against Hunter Biden that were not approved by Garland. Yes, there's very, very clear interference directly from the top down in this one. It's crazy. Hell Saint, per usual, I will finish this stream in the vo in the VODs. See y'all and God bless you too. Thank you for joining Hell Saint. It's been real. Let's read about how Democrats aren't laughing about the Hunter Biden debacle anymore from our good friend and professor, Jonathan Turley. There is a time to laugh and a time not to laugh, and this is not one of them. Not sure. That's a little bit confusing. Those words from... <laughs> okay, so this is why. Those words from Inspector Jacques Clouseau may have been emblazoned across the hearing room of the House Oversight Committee. It was a month ago that House Democratic members mocked the testimony of two whistleblowers who testified about the rigged investigation to protect Hunter Biden, the son of President Biden. Now it appears the controversial sweetheart deal was not the first choice of U.S. Attorney David Weiss. He actually was planning to let Hunter walk without even a misdemeanor charge despite massive unpaid taxes, gun violations, and work as an unregistered foreign agent, among other alleged crime. The reason for his change at justice, according to the New York Times, those pesky whistleblowers. That's right. One of the most insulting moments of the respected IRS agents came from ranking member Jamie Raskin, who mocked the allegations as part of this Inspector Clouseau-style quest for something that doesn't exist. That's turned our committee into the theater of the absurd and exercise in futility and embarrassment. Jamie's just having a field day with his, uh, with his uh, thesaurus over there. Raskin assured the public that these disagreements are routine matters and investigations, a position echoed by his junior colleague, Representative Dan Goldman of New York, who was sweating visibly when he came out and was defending Hunter Biden. Yeah, good stuff. Raskin assured, right, 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 we talked about that. The IRS agents tried to object that they had never seen anything like what had happened in this case. Then the case became anything but a laughing matter for Democrats. The plea agreement with Hunter Biden collapsed within minutes of a federal judge asking a few basic questions. That, I think that lady deserves such a huge award for what she did. She literally just asked the simplest journalistic questions and this whole thing fell apart on its face. Amazing. St. Miles says a support Islam ad dropped in. Forgive me, I have placed ads on this video space at intervals of about 12 minutes, but... Not everyone should be forced to watch them all at the same time, and you should be able to skip them, but we'll see what happens. 
trying to figure out a way to monetize YouTube. I would like to take some money from them if possible because they deserve it. When District Judge Mary Ellen Noriega balked at sweeping language on immunity, she asked the prosecutor if he had ever seen any agreement like this one. He answered no, and the deal quickly fell apart. Hunter Biden's lawyer finally saying exasperatedly, just rip it up. The language was anything but routine. Then an FBI agent spoke to Congress and confirmed testimony of the IRS agents, including that Hunter Biden was tipped off on an attempt to interview him. The agent said they were forced to sit a block away and told not to approach the house. That's strange. The interview was cut off. He described being upset and how this was not routine. Dyatica says she offered us hope the entire justice system is not lost. Yes, thank goodness. New York Times, which has spent years downplaying the Hunter Biden scandal, has published an internal account of the investigation. The Times reported that U.S. Attorney David Weiss was actually preparing to let Hunter walk without requiring a guilty plea on any charges. However, that changed in the spring around the time a pair of IRS officials on the case accused the Justice Department of hamstringing the investigation. Mr. Weiss suddenly demanded that Mr. Biden plead guilty to committing tax offenses. In other words, according to the Times, those two mocked whistleblowers prompted the Justice Department to prosecute. Why would that be? Attorney General Merrick Garland insisted the no, that no political pressure or political considerations would affect the investigations. That was a lie. Merrick Garland is a liar. He should not be in charge of the Department of Justice. Stevie says, I've been seeing people on the left voice their disdain for Hunter because so many black men were thrown in jail for life for the same drug crimes as Hunter, as indeed all African-American people should, because it is not true that other people would get nothing. When somebody brought that up, they said, actually, if this had been anyone else, nothing would have happened to him. That's not the case at all. An ordinary person with a gun charge with tax charges like this, you would be in jail for life. Heaven help you if you got taken in front of court for this stuff. Uh, it, yet it appears the Biden team did raise the potential of embarrassment for the president and the Justice Department if Hunter faced serious charges. New emails reveal that Hunter Biden's lawyers told the prosecutors that if there were serious charges, it would be President Biden in the spotlight. That's right. Sure would be. That'd be a darn shame. Hunter's lawyer, Chris Clark, who just asked the court to be allowed to leave the Biden team, that's right, he's leaving, wrote Weiss and prosecutors that the best thing for everyone was just to walk away. This of all cases justifies neither the spectacle of a sitting president testifying at a criminal trial nor the potential for a resulting constitutional crisis. Oh, on the contrary, my friend, I very much think it does. And it's very telling that you're leaving this investigation. So the Justice Department had the Biden team warned that it needed to avoid the embarrassment for the president from any trial while their own investigators were threatening to reveal embarrassing details on the special treatment afforded to Hunter. The solution appeared to be a plea deal that would involve minor crimes with no jail time. The appearance of prosecution without any real consequences for the Bidens, no time would be served, and again, the investigation could be shut down without further complication or controversy. Then the wheels fell off in court and left everyone in a bit of a muddle. Let's see what Jonathan concludes, because he did take this assignment seriously. While Weiss may be able to justify his actions or contest that the allegations, these allegations, he is clearly viewed as a compromise by many in the public. He stands accused of running an allegedly fixed investigation and now, according to the Times, only pursued the sweetheart deal when whistleblowers moved to expose the allegations of special treatment for the president's son. The question is why? 
Knowing the distrust over the past handling of the investigation, Garland would make an appointment guaranteed to further deepen that unease. Guarantee you it's because they wanted to protect him from testifying. According to a new ABC News Ipsos poll, almost half of Americans lack trust that the Justice Department will conduct the Hunter and Biden investigation in a fair, nonpartisan manner. For these Democratic members in Garland, the case has truly become the theater of the absurd that Raskin predicted. Only no one is laughing. Jonathan Turley is an attorney and professor at George Washington University Law School. And an excellent commentator, if I say so myself. He's fantastic. All right. One of the Hawaii state officials was snapping selfies at the Lahaina state with Biden in the background on my community page. Ugh, gross. I saw that too. That's great. That's so great. So happy that Hawaii decided to vote blue and put Biden in charge and brought us this unmitigated disaster. All right, you guys, what should we talk about next? Let's talk about the University of San Diego canceling Matt Walsh. And we'll talk about uteruses for men. We'll talk about Target being destroyed. Let's talk about Target being destroyed next. Okay. All right, here we have from Breitbart, Live Laugh Lesbian, Target being sued by shareholder after hemorrhaging $14 billion. Good for them. Here we have scenes from Target, Team Pride. Target is proud to support GLSEN with a $100,000 cash donation to help their mission of creating safe and inclusive schools for all. Now I want to look up GLSEN. Let's look it up real fast. GLSEN. This thing always bumps up. I hate it. Uh, mission statement. I'm not familiar with them. Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network. Activating Supportive Educators. Oh my gosh. Oh, leave this site safely. You can quickly leave this website by pressing the escape key three times or tapping three times quickly on mobile. To browse this site safely, be sure to regularly clear your browser history. This is the organization that Target is giving money to. Every student has a right to a safe, supported, and LGBTQ-inclusive K-12 organization education. We are a national network of educators, students, and local GLSEN chapters working to make this right a reality. Uh-huh. Sure you are. Our research and experience has shown that there are four major ways schools can cultivate safe and supportive environments for all their students, regardless of sexual orientations, gender identity, or expression. These four supports are the focus of GLSEN's programs, advocacy, research, and policy work. So you mean activism. One, activating supportive educators who are crucial to creating LGBTQ-inclusive classroom environments. Two, advocating for inclusive and affirming curriculum, which not only offers support to LGBTQ students, but raises the awareness of all students. Three, passing and implementing policies to ensure that LGBTQ students can learn and thrive in safe, inclusive, accepting uh, schools. Four, supporting student-led clubs and GSAs because student leaders are integral to creating community and pushing for change. So, it's been a while since I set foot in a Target for reasons I have obviously made clear. I hope you all are joining me in this boycott shame because I really enjoyed Target. They were a great place to go to buy home goods and stuff like that, but there's actually a store called Home Goods where you can buy a lot of the same products for similar prices. 
Greg, thank you for your super chat, sir. No, if Trump Jr. did the same thing Hunter did, they would be trying to throw the whole Trump family behind bars. They already are trying to throw Trump behind bars, that is for sure, and you are correct about how they would respond to Jr. Let's see how quick it is to close. Oh, it takes you right to a... Takes you right to the Google homepage. That's interesting. I'm gonna have to ask. I'm gonna have to ask Andy how that works because every time you open this, it's gonna say the same thing. If you need to leave quickly, quick exit, press escape three times. They want you to hide this from your parents, and this is the organization that Target is allied with. So, let's read what's happening to them because I'm happy to report it is not good news for them. Target is being sued for allegedly portraying its core customer base by continuing to sell LGBTQ LGBT pride gear, including designs from a Satan lover, that's right, this guy, in spite of the company's hemorrhaging loss in the stock markets. That sounds like intent to me. We'll see. The lawsuit was filed by conservative legal firm America First Legal on behalf of investor Brian Craig, who in April 2022 spent $50,000 for 216.50 shares of Target. That's a lot of money. The nonprofit organizations led by Stephen Miller, a former advisor to ex-president Trump. Shannon Taylor from the New York Post reported by April 2023, the value of Craig's holdings fell to $34,839 and then dropped to $28,896 by June 14th in the middle of Pride Month as Target was in the middle of a boycott triggered by a collection that included children's books titled Twas the night before Pride and a handful of t-shirts donning LGBTQ-friendly slogans like Live, Laugh, Lesbian. Target's board of directors betrayed both Target's core customer base of working families and its investors by making false and misleading statements concerning Target's environmental, social, and justice, social, and governance and diversity, equity, and inclusion mandates that led to its disastrous 2023 children and family-themed LGBT Pride campaign. Lawsuit asserted that Target led shareholders to an unknowingly let led shareholders to unknowingly support Target's board and management in their misuse of investor funds to serve its divisive political social goals and ultimately lose billions. American First Legal alleges that Target continued the LGBT Pride campaign, continuing to sell products and associated with the campaign, causing further damage to Target stock price. Gene Hamilton, Vice President General Counsel of America First Legal, addressed the company's violation of rules in the Securities Exchange Act of 34 in a press release. Federal law requires publicly, publicly traded corporations to provide certain information to shareholders in their proxy statements that allow those shareholders to make uh, informed decisions. As alleged in, by, in our complaint, Target failed to execute its duty to its shareholders. Since introducing the Pride Apparel, Target has lost $14 billion in market value. In its latest quarterly report, Target said its sales declined. Company officials said the decline was due in part to customer reactions and boycotts stemming from its Pride Month activities. The other thing they blamed was inflation. So this is Democrat activists' fault all around, and Target is paying the price. Shares of the company are down 4.7% over the past month and have fallen 15.8% so far in 2023, and it could not happen to nicer people. People, I'm delighted, and I will be following this case with great interest and sharing it with you guys. So, whew, let me catch my breath. University of San Diego has banned Matt Walsh's speech, calling the conservative beliefs grossly offensive. Let's see how they figure that. University of San Diego, a Catholic institution, <laughs> right, 
is refusing to allow its conservative student organization to host Matt Walsh for a campus lecture this fall, claiming that the Daily Wire personality's so-called grossly offensive common-sense beliefs would create an unsafe environment for different populations of people, never explaining how exactly it would be unsafe. The problem with boycotting, says Dyadica, is that alternative companies are sometimes worse. It pays to do a little research. Well, when a company you're boycotting has a big sign in the front saying, we are supporting GLSEN, which is literally a site that gives you the option to quick exit as soon as you get there because it is targeting children and hoping to go without their parents' knowledge. I gotta be honest, you're making the right choice because this is the company who's throwing it in your face, right? This is the company that does not care what you think about them. Home goods, they care about money and I respect it. I'm a capitalist. I appreciate it. I completely understand that they are trying to make a living, turn a stock profit for their investors, all that other stuff. Target supporting GLSEN is a huge red flag. And as soon as you walk in the door, as soon as you see their pride display, that's a big old red flag. And you're right about doing your research and making sure that the company you're supporting instead is not worse. Very hard to see many companies who are doing worse things with the money given to them. Last semester's members of the US, USD College Republicans filed a request for funds from the student government that would allow them to cover expenses associated with the proposed lecture. Members of the student government unanimously voted to deny the request in full. As a Catholic institution, I do think that it is of the most important things. We hold our Catholic faith first, and if he does not align with the values of the Catholic Church, that's something we should consider regarding allocating funding. Isabella Sevilla a leftist student senator who helped bring a drag show to campus last semester said in response to the conservative student's presentation. That doesn't make sense. As a Catholic institution, I think that is that it is one of the most important things that we hold our Catholic faith first. And if he does not align with the values of the Catholic church, that is something we should consider regarding allocating the funding. Matt Walsh is a Catholic. He constantly talks about his own Catholic faith. So as far as actually adhering to the Catholic faith, I guarantee you that Matt Walsh adheres to the religion better than the people than the people at the San Diego College here. Senator Jacob Aragon cited baseless calls by leftist medical organizations for Matt Walsh to be prosecuted by the Department of Justice. As a consequence of speaking out against gender ideology as his rationale for voting against the lecture. Another student government member's ridiculous argument was that the conservative free speech and expression should not be allowed on campus because it may lead to those on the left being too uncomfortable to express themselves. My goodness, we wouldn't want anyone to be uncomfortable because the left does not make it their sole mission to make people who hold even the slightly remotest conservative views to be super, super uncomfortable. Uh huh. You say that you value freedom of expression, but do you really think people would feel comfortable to express themselves with someone who is known notoriously for that movie, what is a woman, and also for being the recipient of the Transphobe of the Year 2022 award? Undeterred by these discriminatory financial hurdles, the conservative students attempted to push the event through the university's event approval process 
with the goal of raising funds independently. However, leftist administrators would not have it. USC College Republicans President Alyssa Jackson had met with administration to begin the approval process. According to her, Assistant Vice President for Student Life Byron Hallett refused to hear her argument that Walsh's beliefs are in line with Catholic social teaching. Hallett told her that he doesn't agree with the Catholic faith. So a man working for a Catholic college is saying in no uncertain terms he does not agree with the Catholic faith and that Walsh's grossly offensive beliefs would not be tolerated. The university is in full support of freedom of expression and freedom of inquiry. That is the basis of the university, he reportedly said. But, and you know it's going to be a huge but, it's also a delicate balancing act because we have a duty to protect our community members as well. In that case, that usurps that freedom of inquiry and freedom of expression. So this thing that is the groundwork for the entire university, yeah, this desire for comfort and familiarity usurps that. So what are you? Because you're not a university anymore. Insane. Every semester, USD hosts a parade of leftist speakers, Black Lives Matter founder Patrice Calores, Representative Adam Schiff and Chelsea Clinton have all been allowed to address students despite their beliefs that directly oppose many basic principles of the Catholic faith. Well, you just had a guy in leadership say that he does not agree with Catholic principles. And again, Catholic school. In name, anyway. Catholic in name only. Jennifer Lee, Director of Student Activities, said that Walsh would need to denounce his, quote, transphobic beliefs and change his ways before setting foot on campus, what she doesn't think will happen. Well, she's darn right about that, nor should he ever. Despite admitting that she never watched Matt Walsh's blockbuster documentary that allows the left's agenda to collapse on its own lack of merit, Lee declared that the film, and by extension Matt uh, Walsh, uh, and by extension Matt, are grossly offensive at an extreme level. They're all using the exact same term, they are robots, they are NPCs, they do not think for themselves. But, guys, I have to take a few minutes. There is a transphobe of the year. I don't remember where Matt Walsh got it. Let me look it up real fast, actually. Because so I think it's like from a magazine. Oh my gosh, I cannot type. I really want to talk about verbal jujitsu. Yeah, New Republic, Transphobe of the Year. Woohoo! I wish, I wish. And here he is gloating about it. I don't blame him. I think that's fantastic. Good for him. Transphobia is not a phobia. You are not afraid of people who are transgender. Sympathetic, empathetic, pitying, etc. Not afraid. Not afraid at all. That's just something they call you to try to smear you. How conservatives use verbal jujitsu to turn liberals' language against them. That sounds scary. I wish that I knew this verbal jujitsu. Let's find out more. Almost every touchstone phrase adopted by liberals in recent years, critical race theory, diversity, global warming, even the word liberal itself, has been redefined or tarnished by conservatives. How do they do it? It's called verbal jujitsu. Dun, dun, dun. How do they always make us sound so darn cool? I love it. Keep it up. The two frontrunners for the White House in 2024 are tied in a hypothetical rematch. Congress is paralyzed. Every big election seems to be decided by razor-thin margins. But almost any measure, the struggle for political dominance in the U.S. seems deadlocked between Republicans and Democrats. At times, the two parties resemble a pair of punch-drunk boxers slugging away at one another in a contest that never can end. Neither can end. There is one political battleground where Republicans triumph virtually every time. Good. I'm so happy to hear that. 
and control of this arena could determine who wins the White House in 2024. But will it? We'll see. Republicans are masters of verbal jiu-jitsu. It's a form of linguistic combat in which the practitioner takes a political phrase or concept popularized by their op- opponent and gradually turns it into an unusable slur. You mean like transphobe? Oh, wait, Republicans didn't come up with that. You guys did, right? Okay. Like the Japanese martial art known as jiu-jitsu, its devotees avoid taking opposing arguments head on and instead redirect their opponent's momentum to beat them. That's damn genius. I'm sorry. And I appreciate this parallel, and I'm glad John wrote this. If this sounds abstract, consider the evolution of woke. It doesn't sound abstract, but I recognize that you have to sound smart for your audience over at Checks Notes, CNN Politics. The word is defined as being actively aware of social injustice. Yes, we know what it means, John, but it has been transformed into a contemporary scourge, one that a politician compared to a virus more dangerous than any pandemic hands down. Well, I wonder what politician that was. Mention any touchstone phrase adopted by the left in recent years, and it has been redefined or tarnished by conservatives. You mean they're doing what you did, and they're better at it than you are, and you can't handle it? Do go on. Say it ain't so. Mean, uh, <clears throat> meanwhile, Republicans continue to proudly use words and pet phrases such as family values, conservative, and patriot, no matter who or what is associated with the term. That's right. They're winning. They're beating you at your own game because you would like the term patriot to mean something bad. You've done everything in your power to make the idea of family values a slur. It's not working. Greg says, isn't that what the left do? Correct. Entirely correct. And this is a Saul Alinsky tactic to always accuse your opposition of doing exactly what you're doing. And he's got a point. And I'm happy to see it. I'm really glad to see the Republicans are taking the initiative and pushing back on this stuff. And it's working. And I will cite um, CNN to prove my case. Here we go. A candidate pre- as candidates prep for the first 2024 GOP presidential debate Wednesday in Milwaukee, it's a good time to ponder this question. Why are Republicans so good at this form of verbal combat and Democrats so bad? I don't know, but it's pretty impressive and I like it. Part of the answer comes down to the effort to discipline. Republicans devote more time to turning words into weapons and do a better job of sticking to their message says Lindsay, McCor- Lindsay Cormack, a political scientist who focuses on race, gender, communications, and politics at Stevens Institute of Technology in New Jersey. I've been studying their communications for 15 years, and it sort of blows me away because I think Democrats are good at plenty of things, but they really drop the ball on this communication piece a lot. Cormack says conservatives have built a think tank ecosystem of linguists and focus groups to test words and phrases for a political battle. Democrats do some of the same, but with not nearly the same level of commitment, she says. They, conservatives, think about what words resonate, what words cue other sorts of thoughts, or what sort of images come to mind with people when they're hearing messages, Cormac says. Sounds like they're really good at marketing. Sorry, you guys. They seem to have more invested in that. They have more people who write about that sort of work, linguists and linguists who do these sorts of things for them. Yeah, that's fantastic. Stevie says, can we troll woke people into thinking that we have Jedi mind tricks? Apparently, we already have. I had no idea we had verbal jiu-jitsu in our, um, in our repertoire, but here we are. Uh, Trump BJJ'd fake news into his own thing. Absolutely did. Fake news did not start because of Trump. It came from, I think it was CNN. I am what I am. Thank you for your super chat. 
How an all creation is someone who isn't Catholic able to lead any Catholic institution? Any tips for dot, dip and dot? Thank you. We appreciate that very much. Dot certainly appreciates it. It will calm her into sleeping at night, which will in turn help me very much. Uh, I appreciate that for sure. Yeah, I have no idea how someone who's not a Catholic should ever be in charge of a Catholic school. Catholic in name only. Let's be real. This is so great. I love this article. Let's continue. Verbal jujitsu is not new in American politics. Conservatives have long employed it on racial issues. Right? Because we're racist. Don't forget. I almost forgot. How could I? During the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, conservatives in both Democrat and Republican parties often used a series of verbal feints that changed the direction of their opponents' moral arguments. They didn't say they opposed integration. They said they were for states' rights. Yes, that was actually part of it. They didn't say they didn't want their children sitting next to black or brown kids when opposing desegregation of public schools. They said they were against forced busing. Yeah, that is what they said. How about that? They didn't say the opposed civil rights leaders' efforts to make the U.S. a genuine multiracial democracy. They called those leaders communists or socialists. A lot of them actually were. So, dear CNN writer, if you had actually done your homework, you would recognize that some of these leaders truly were communists and or socialists and certainly not unbiased people. They flipped the script by offering new words to replace other terms that were hard to attack head-on. Sometimes they disarmed a liberal phrase by transforming its meaning. Social justice warrior, for example, didn't start off as an insult. (laughs) What's wrong with someone fighting on behalf of the poor and exploited? That's a very communist idea if you unpack it, actually. If you get into the roots of the postmodern Marxist ideas behind fighting on behalf of the poor and exploited, you will find communism about an inch down. Then the term was turned by conservatives and internet culture into something else. A whiny, self-righteous progressive who can't take a joke. That's literally what they are. I mean, literally, the left cannot take jokes to any degree. And social justice warriors are some of the worst culprits. Recent years have brought numerous headlines about another liberal term that's been dismantled by the right. Critical race theory, once an obscure academic discipline that insisted racism is more than individual prejudice... I have to stop right here and say the left knows that critical theory is in curriculums for kids as young as kindergarten. They don't care. They actually don't really care who knows it because they can argue that there is no critical race theory. Technically, this may be the case. It's not critical race theory. It's the overarching idea of critical theory that is baked into every single part of the curriculum for every single subject. It's actually pretty clever if you think about it. This is sheer projection. This is the Alinsky tactic. This is them accusing us of what they're doing. But insisted that racism is more than individual prejudice. Racism is embedded in laws, policies, and institutions. Right, this is critical theory. But conservatives redirected the discussion and turned the term into a catch-all phrase that criticizes virtually any examination of systemic racism or history that would make white people uncomfortable. That is incorrect. A lot of what they're arguing against actually portrays all white people as a demographic, as oppressors. Because again, Marxism. And the one thing that John's really trying to avoid in this article is any conversation about about uh, actually uh, actual Marxism and the underlying stuff beneath this stuff. Matthew says, praxis, correct. Critical race applied praxis. What we used to call it on Tim Castell. It's not critical race applied praxis per se. It's critical, critical applied praxis. 
I understand that critical race applied practice praxis spells crap. Haha. Uh-huh. But cap, as in lying, as the Gen Zs call it, is more accurate. So we'll leave it at that. Whatever the method, this form of verbal jujitsu, haha, I love this so much. Let's popularize this idea. Is used for one purpose, says Robin D'Angelo. Oh, good, we've gotten to Robin D'Angelo, author of White Fragility, a popular book that spawned another popular liberal catchphrase. The function is to silence the conversation and to protect the status quo, which we can't do because that's Robin D'Angelo's method of earning income. We can't have that. Robin needs a paycheck. So let's be real here. How diversity and equity became dirty words. Next on the hit list are two other terms favored by liberals. Diversity and equity, D'Angelo says. These words originally meant values that were virtually universally accepted. In the West, which you guys seek to fundamentally overhaul and remake in your own utopian image, in the West, we like the idea of diversity of opinion. Diversity of opinion has always been far more important than diversity of skin color because skin color is, after all, only skin deep. And apparently Democrats don't know that anymore. And inclusion. Equity. Equity has never been a positive thing, ever. Equality? Yes. Equity? No. Equity means that everyone gets the same end result. Equality means that everyone has the exact same options. Critical applied praxis. We must oppose cap. No cap, says Andy. Absolutely. I've noticed that people who say praxis or dialectic are usually communists. Well, James Lindsay is the one I hear most often use the word dialectic, and it still doesn't really make sense to me, but I don't think he's a communist. Republican leaders are now comparing DEI initiatives to wokeness. Yes. And loyalty oaths. Yes. So good that someone's paying attention to this. They have introduced bills citing DEI programs in public universities and corporate America. Yes. They're not positive. That's what's happening over at Target. Paulette Granberry Russell, president of the National Association for Diversity Officers in Higher Education, Recently told a reporter she doesn't use the acronym DEI anymore because it's been weaponized. Oh, maybe it's like people are actually on to you and you really don't like that. So you're trying to kind of shy away from it and pretend it never happened. They like to do that bait and switch stuff too. Republicans have also thought, right, right, right. I'm going to tell you as somebody who's been in this work for decades, there is no diversity industrial complex. D'Angelo says this woman is the diversity industrial complex. She sells books that fund her livelihood based on this. That is, that is the definition of an industrial complex that's designed to afford your living. I want you guys to go read this article. It's pretty good. We're going to read the last sentence and then I'm going to wrap because it's 758. Was former President Trump exercising free speech when he questioned the 2020 election results? Or did he attempt to defraud the U.S.? And will words like diversity and inclusion be turned into another version of woke, terms so tarnished by relentless attacks that even their proponents are reluctant to use them? I hope so. Some form of verbal jiu-jitsu may determine the answers to these questions. It shaped the nation's history more than many people realize. Okay, John, your article is very uninteresting, but I appreciate that you wrote it because... It means that we're winning and I'm happy. Could not be happier. I will leave you with this thought. The left are the ones who believe that reality is actually shaped by the words you say. And to some degree, they're correct. This is what we mean when we say that you need to talk about what you hope will happen. You need to speak things into existence. To some degree, it works. 
humans are heavily influenced by the words they hear. So to some degree, the left is right. Go read the article. You guys, thanks so much for joining me. It is now 7.59. This is a very interesting article. I find it highly encouraging. I'm very glad that we're winning this war. I'm glad that we're using the left strategies to fight them back. And I'm excited for the future. All right, you guys, until next time, stay safe, stay well, stay out of target. Until then, bye, guys.